Turn with me in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 12. Our scripture reading this morning is going to be Hebrews chapter 12, verses 12 through 17. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 12 through 17. This is the very word of God. Therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness spring up and cause trouble, and by it many become defiled, that no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal. For you know that afterward, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears." That is the reading of God's Word. Let us pray and ask for His blessing upon us through His Word here this morning. Father God, Your Word is that imperishable seed by which we have been born again. And it is that pure spiritual milk by which we grow up in our salvation. And so we ask You now to remember Your promise that Your Word will not return to You void. Work through your word by your spirit in our hearts this morning, Father, conforming us more and more to the image of the glory of Christ. Make us new by your word. Call forth light where it previously did not exist. Give us ears to hear and hearts to receive your gospel, that the peace of this gospel might rule in our hearts to the praise of your glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. This is now the third time that we have focused on this paragraph in the 12th chapter of Hebrews. And this morning, our focus is going to be on the, the very end, on the, the, the picture of Esau, the man who sold his birthright for a single meal. You've probably known someone in your life, someone who, who made a rash decision that cost them everything, a decision that they, they wish they could go back and undo. Maybe it is a man who, who sacrificed his marriage and his family for a, a moment of sensual pleasure. Or maybe it is someone who, who cast aside their, their promising career for the, for the momentary pleasure of getting something off their chest. You know the types of situations that I'm talking about, those, those foolish bargains that we sometimes make. When we cast aside something of an inestimable value for a momentary fleeting pleasure. Well, that's what Esau did. He, he gave away his birthright for a single meal. And it's what the Hebrews were being tempted to do. You may remember that the Hebrews who first received this letter were being tempted to renounce Jesus and to, to renounce the, the salvation that was theirs in Him and to return to their former way of life. And they were being tempted to, to walk away from Jesus because following Him had brought persecution down upon their heads. 
The author tells us that they had not yet resisted to the point of shedding their blood. But they were being truly persecuted. Their their property was being plundered. Some of them had even been thrown into jail. And to make it worse, there was no relief in sight. If anything, things were only going to get worse. And they were beginning to wonder if the cost of following Jesus was just too high. We don't face the same kind of persecution today, though of course there are some who do. But we still pay a price to follow Jesus. And that price is high. Bonhoeffer once said that when Jesus calls a man, He bids him to come and die. To follow Jesus is to die to self. To, to follow Jesus is to renounce the right to rule your own life, to be the captain of your own ship. To, to follow Jesus is to renounce the, the right to put your own interest ahead of all others. To, to set your interest aside for the sake of the other's good. And the costs of loving your neighbor well, the cost of loving your neighbor as yourself are always high. They don't always mean a threat to our physical well-being or to our physical property. But we know the high price of setting aside our interests to become the servant of all. In fact, I suspect that at one time or another, all of us have wondered whether the cost was too high. Whether Jesus was simply asking too much. In fact, I suspect that some of you are even wrestling with that question this morning. Even this morning, you are wondering whether the cost of following Jesus is simply too high. Well, if that is the question that you are facing, or if that is a question that you have faced, the author's words of encouragement are for you this morning. What he says to the Hebrews, he says to you. And what is it that he says? We, we see it there in verse 12. He says to the Hebrews, Lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet. In other words, he says, Keep going. Don't give up. Run with endurance the race that has been set before you. And this is no empty encouragement. On the contrary, he fills it with with reasons. He he gives them three reasons at least to to keep going. And he frames each of those reasons in in negative terms. First, he, he tells them not to quit because the one who quits will never be healed. We we see that at the in verse 13. At the end of verse 13, he, he says, Keep going so that what is lame may not be put out of joint but rather be healed. If you quit, he says, you will be put out of joint. That which is flagging will be fully broken. But if you keep going, you will be healed. But he goes on to add to that a second reason. He says the one who quits not only will will never be healed, but he will never see the Lord without holiness, he says. Without the holiness which we must strive after, we will never see the Lord. The one who does not devote his life to the Lord. The one who is moved from the hope of the gospel that he has believed. That one will not inherit the kingdom. That one will never see the Lord. 
And he repeats this again a third time when he says that the one who quits the race will never obtain the grace of God. That one will not receive God's gift. That one will not in the end be saved. So keep going, the author says. Press on. Run with endurance so that you might be healed. So that you might see the Lord. So that you might obtain the grace of God. These are the author's encouragements. But he, but he frames them negatively Because he wants the Hebrews to see that the cost of renouncing Jesus are far higher than the costs of following him. Yes, the the cost of following him is high. As Bonhoeffer said, when, when you're called to follow Jesus, you are called to die. But though it costs you everything to follow him, it costs you more to walk away And this is what the author wants the Hebrews to see. It's a lesson that he probably learned from Jesus himself. In Luke chapter 14, Jesus tells two parables. Two parables about the the cost of of following him. And the first is is a parable about a a tower, a man who wants to build a tower. He says you would never begin a a building project without first counting the cost. It's, It's what we're doing at Trinity right now. We are counting the cost of what it might mean to to add on to our facility. What will it cost us? Do we have the money? We don't want to begin the project and then find ourselves uh, in a bind where we cannot finish. Jesus says, if you're going to come after me, you need to count the cost. You need to know that it is going to cost you everything. But he immediately tells a second parable. And the second parable is not exactly like the first. Again, it is about the cost, but this time it's not the cost of following him, but the cost of rejecting him. He asks about a king who who has 10,000 troops at his disposal. He says, does not that king count the costs? Does not he determine whether he can stand against the king who is coming at him with a far greater army? And when he sees the costs of resisting, when he sees the cost of of standing against the king, and when he sees that he cannot possibly pay those costs, he sues for terms of peace. He seeks to, to settle with the king who is coming. Again, Jesus says, yes, you must count the costs of following, but you must also count the costs of resisting. Because the, can't, the costs of standing against Jesus are far higher than the costs of following him. And this is the point that the author wants us to see. He wants us to see the foolishness of turning away from Jesus. The foolishness of walking away from so great a salvation. And he puts before us Esau as the ultimate example Of someone who did not count the costs properly. Someone who ended up making an incredibly foolish bargain. That's really what I want us to see this morning. I want us to see two things in Esau's story. First, I want us to see Esau's foolishness. And then I want us to see Esau's fate. First, Esau's Foolishness. We, we see it when the author says that, that no one is to be sexually immoral or unholy like Esau who sold his birthright for a single meal. 
The birthright that Esau sold was, was his right to the, the inheritance of the firstborn, that, that double portion which those in, in his culture received. As the, as the firstborn son, he had a right to a double portion of his father's estate. But for Esau, the, the, inherit, the birthright that he gave up was, was far more valuable because it wasn't just a double portion of a physical inheritance, but he was an heir of the promises made to Abraham. He had a spiritual inheritance. The, the promises of God were be to, to be fulfilled through him as the firstborn, and he sold that spiritual inheritance for a single meal. But why does the author say that in doing so, he was sexually immoral and unholy? The word translated sexually immoral is the the normal word that we would think of, the the word pornos. It is is a word that literally refers to someone uh, having sex outside of a covenant marriage. It, It refers to physical, literal, sexual immorality. And that is the way that, that it is so often translated throughout the, the New Testament. But most commentators understand that, that here he is probably using the word metaphorically. Using the word that, that, that's similar, using the word in a way that is similar to the way we, we see the, the language of adultery used throughout the Old Testament. Throughout the Old Testament, spiritual apostasy was often described as sexual immorality, as sexual unfaithfulness. And that seems to be what the author has in mind here for for a couple of reasons. First, because we have no record of Esau ever committing sexual immorality. The only possible reference is his marriage to two Canaanite women. But even there, the the, the sin was not literally sexual immorality, but rather spiritual apostasy. For he was married to those women. He He was not having sex outside of marriage, but rather the problem was that he was married to women who were not members of the covenant community. And so his marriage to those women was not literal pornos. But rather, his marriage to those women was, was metaphorical. It was spiritual apostasy. But not only does the, the word not fit Esau's life in general, it doesn't fit the specific situation that the author mentions. The, the author is first here referring to Esau's selling of his birthright. And the selling of the birthright was spiritual apostasy. Esau sold his spiritual inheritance for a single meal. Esau valued the treasures of this earth more than the spiritual inheritance that was his by the promise of God. He valued an immediate temporal good more than the imperishable, immortal inheritance that was to be his through God's promise. And so it was a spiritual apostasy. And the word unholy has a, has a similar meaning. Remember, we saw that the word holy means to be set apart or, or fully devoted. One who is holy is fully devoted to the Lord, has, gives his whole life and every aspect of his life to the service of God and to the glory of his name. The one who is unholy then is not fully divided. His, his allegiances are divided 
And Esau was just such a person. Esau was willing to follow God to a point. But there was a price that he was not willing to pay. There was a pain that he was not willing to suffer. He was going to look out for his own interest. He was going to do his own thing. He was going to go his own way. If that was what was necessary to secure his immediate physical well-being. And it was with that unfaithful, unholy attitude that Esau sold his birthright for a single meal. He traded his spiritual, eternal inheritance for immediate comfort and relief. It's really the exact opposite of what we heard about Moses in chapter 11. Remember, Moses renounced the the fleeting pleasures of Pharaoh's house, choosing instead to be mistreated with the people of God because he was looking to the reward. He considered the, the, the treasure of heaven greater wealth than all the pleasures of Egypt. It's a temptation that each of us faces every single day. Each of us is is tempted to sell our our spiritual inheritance for some sort of immediate comfort or relief. When following Jesus brings hardship, when following Jesus brings pain, even if it's simply pain to our ego or or pain to our, our, our psyche, When we walk into that pain and and we begin to flinch, we begin to wonder if it would be easier to turn to the right or, or to the left, we are facing the temptation of Esau. We are being asked whether we will deviate from the course, whether we will turn to the right or to the left in order to to gain some immediate temporal comfort or whether we will press on through the valley of the shadow of death, whether we will press on through the flood, whether we will press on through the fire, because it is Jesus who calls us to do so. I don't know exactly what the temptations are in your life. It might be physical, sexual pleasure. It it might be the acceptance of your peers. It it might be the the desire to maintain a certain standard of of living. The the temptation can come in in many forms. But all of us are, are tempted in one way or another to seek our own immediate interests at the cost of giving up our internal interests in Christ. And what the author wants us to see is that such a bargain is always utter foolishness. It's utter foolishness, first of all, because the pleasures that we receive are are fleeting pleasures. They are temporary pleasures compared to the eternal solid joys that are offered to us in in Christ. The eternal joys that that are ours in Him far outweigh whatever joys and pleasures can be offered to us in this life. But not only will the the pleasures that we have in Him last forever, they are also just simply far better. The pleasures that we receive by by turning to the right or the pleasures that we receive by, by turning to the left, these are simply paltry pleasures. They are small pleasures. They are pleasures that do not deeply satisfy. 
You know this from experience. You you know that the pleasures of sin always fall short of expectation. You know that they always leave you wanting. They always leave you empty. They always leave you cold. They are thrilling for a moment. But in the end, they are small, fleeting pleasures. But it is not just the fact that the pleasures fall so far short of what is offered to us in Christ. It is also that the decision to reject Christ, to cling to our pleasures, is an irreversible forever decision. This is the point that the author emphasizes in in verse 17. And it's it's got to be our second point this morning because it is such an important thing for us to see. Look again at what the author says. He says, you know that afterward, when he desired to inherit the, the blessing... When when he desired to to have that blessing that he had sold for a single meal, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected. For he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears. Those are incredibly sobering words. The author's basic point is, is clear enough. Esau sold his birthright for a single meal. And when the time came for his father to give the blessing, he he began to realize what he had done. And he desired the blessing and even sought it with tears. That's what sought it with tears refers to. It's not not that he sought a chance to repent with tears, but but he sought the blessing with tears. But despite his tears, despite his his earnest desire for the blessing at that point, he was rejected. And the blessing went to his younger brother. Jacob. And the reason that Esau could not reclaim the blessing, the the blessing that he had so foolishly and flippantly tossed aside, the reason that, that he was rejected was because he found no chance to repent. As I said, that is a hard saying. But let me let me first point out what it doesn't say. It doesn't say that Esau repented and was rejected anyway. That would never happen. The one who repents and turns to the Lord, calling upon his name, that one will be saved. No one who, who turns to the Lord in repentance will ever be rejected. But here's what we need to see. It's not that Esau repented and was rejected. It's that Esau was unable to repent. He found no chance to repent. Why? Why couldn't Esau simply turn back to the Lord? Why, why couldn't he repent of his former foolishness? He could not repent because repentance is never in the power of the sinner. The prophet Ezekiel reminds us that we have a mortal wound and there is nothing that we can do to heal ourselves. There is nothing we can do to to incline our heart back to the Lord. We can no more change our heart than a leopard can change his spots. Repentance is not in our power. Repentance is always and only a gift of God. We, we see this in the book of Acts when Peter goes and, and preaches to the Gentiles and they hear the gospel and receive it with joy and the Holy Spirit is, is poured out on them. The people say in amazement, God has granted even to the Gentiles 
repentance unto life. God has granted. Repentance is his gift. It is he who who gives us repentance unto life. And so, if God grants you that repentance, if God inclines your heart towards him, and you turn away, you reject him, there is nothing that you can do to later turn yourself around. This is what we saw back in Hebrews chapter 6. You may remember, you may remember that, that when we looked at that passage in Hebrews chapter 6, we, we saw that it says it is impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened and then fall away to restore them a good, again to repentance. But you'll remember that, that immediately before it says it is impossible, it says this we will do if God permits. You see, the, the author's point was the same there as it is here. The, the point is not that when you sin, that, that your fate is, is uh, set irrevocably. The point is that you cannot do anything to bring yourself back. Only God can grant Repentance. Do not think that that today is the day of salvation, but tomorrow will be another day. Do not think that that I can can do what I want now, but come back later when the cost of following Jesus are, are lower. If we turn away from the grace of God offered to us, if we harden our hearts when we hear his voice, there is no guarantee that we will ever have another opportunity to repent. For repentance is not in our power. It is the gift of God. And this is what the author wants the Hebrews to see. It's what he wants all those who are tempted to sell their birthright for a single meal to see. Do not think that you can sell your birthright and then come back later and receive the blessing by your own power. If you turn away from the Lord today, there is no guarantee that you will ever be called back to him. Rather, if we have been called, we must stand firm now. Today, if we hear his voice, we must not harden our hearts, but must respond in faith. God never gave Esau the gift of repentance unto life after that day. And this is what we must see. And this is what makes Esau's choice and the choice that that we are tempted to make so monumentally foolish. Not only are are we trading an eternal inheritance for a for a temporary pleasure but we are doing so when there is nothing in our power that we can do to get that inheritance back the decision to to walk away from jesus is forever as far as we are concerned yes god can call us back god can do the impossible But let us not presume upon his kindness. Let us not presume that we can bring ourselves back. It was monumentally foolish for Esau to sell the blessing for a single meal. Not only because it was a single meal, but because he could never get it back. 
How much worse would it be for the Hebrews to toss aside their, their far greater salvation, their far greater inheritance? One commentator puts it these way, this way. These Hebrew Christians will be guilty of a much greater act of profanity if, disheartened by the difficulties of the contest, they barter not an earthly but an heavenly birthright for a short period of worldly ease and prosperity. What is it costing you to follow Jesus this morning? What would it take to, to ease the pain of following him? How often have you been tempted to pay that cost? How often have you been tempted to sell your birthright for a single meal? That's the question. What hunger pains have you thinking that it might be worth it to sell your spiritual inheritance? Whatever the temptation, whatever the, the cost, the author's charge remains the same. He wants you to see that, that yes, it hurts. He knows it hurts. He calls on you not to give up. He calls on you to keep going because it will be worth it in the end. He says to you this morning, lift your drooping hands, strengthen your weak knees, and make straight paths for your feet. Don't be foolish like Esau, but instead strive for peace and holiness. Strive for that holiness without which no one will see the Lord. For the one who strives for holiness, the one who runs the race with endurance, that one will be healed. Or as Jesus said, the one who loses his life for my sake, that one will save it. We recently celebrated Easter Sunday. That Sunday on which we celebrate Jesus' resurrection from the dead. And the promise of Easter is this. If you have died with Christ, you will also live with Him. We were buried, therefore, with Him by baptism into death in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. That is the promise being held out to you this morning. May we not foolishly sell our spiritual birthright in Christ for a temporary respite from the slight and momentary afflictions of this life. Instead, may we run with endurance the race that has been marked out for us, knowing that if we continue to run, we will be healed, and one day we will be brought all the way home for the run for the one who runs this course will one day be with Jesus who ran it before us he ran this course all the way to the cross and God raised him up again and seated him in his right hand and if we will follow in his footsteps if we will trust in him he will bring us into his glory and because we have this promise, because we have the promise that the one who continues to trust in him all the way to the end will be saved, because we have this promise, 
We call this good news. Do you believe that? Amen. Let us believe it together. Pray with me. Father God, we come before you this morning, sobered by the example of foolish Esau, sobered by not only the foolishness of his choice, but by the finality of his fate. Father God, if there are any here this morning who have made such a foolish bargain, may you do the impossible and graciously grant to them again repentance unto life. But for those who are only wavering, for those who are only beginning to drift, Father, may you call them back and may you strengthen their weak knees that they might stand firm, turning neither to the right nor to the left, but continuing straight ahead in the course that you have set before them, that they might run with endurance this race all the way to the end until they come to share in the glory of your Son for all eternity. Father, this is what we ask. And we ask it boldly in the name of Jesus Christ, the founder and perfecter of the faith. In his name and for his name's sake. Amen.